Aloha, Soul Dancer here. I am the host for PWR Network's Confidence Building Series. Attention all network marketing business builders. What's the one thing every successful network marketer has in common? It's called confidence. Do you need help building confidence, not only in your own business, but in helping other people build their businesses? To learn more about how I'm paying network marketing business builders, yes, I'm paying you to build a successful team by building their confidence, call me at 312-268-0000. Again, 312-268-ALLZEROS to learn how I will pay you to build a successful network marketing business. Welcome back to PWR Network, the world in your hands. And a gracious aloha and welcome back. Wow, we are on week 10 of our 12-week journey on building confidence. This is Soul Dancer, your host. Today, I'm delighted and very pleased to have two co-pilots for this show. Crystal and Elaine will be co-piloting us as we unravel and dive deep into this concept of ethics and integrity. Be sure to visit bitly.com, B-I-T-L-Y dot com forward slash confidence cast. Confidence cast. Two words but no spaces. B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash confidence cast so that you can learn more about Elaine and Crystal. From a confidence building standpoint, ethics. When you're known as an ethical person, when people know you to be of high integrity, the natural level of confidence that you inspire in people with high levels of ethics and high levels of integrity is palpable. When your ethics are shaky, when your integrity is shaky, so is your confidence. And so today we're going to build our confidence by understanding some different nuances between ethics, integrity, and a topic that a lot of dictionaries, when you look up the word ethics, they'll throw in this concept of morals. And in today's show, I'm going to invite you to grapple with the benefit of decoupling, removing morals from ethics. So as we dive in, how about if we do a quick sound off? Everybody give a, a quick aloha, Stu. Hello, everybody. Monica. Aloha. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> Isabel. Hello, everyone. Anna. Aloha. Hey, Jace. Hello, everybody. Lane. Aloha. Hello, everyone. And I believe Sarah. Hola. Hola. All right. Yay. I'm going to turn the show over to Elaine and Crystal because they both have firsthand experience of grappling with ethics. Okay. Well, I'm going to be looking at page 154 in the book. And what I'd like to do is start with let's defining the difference between ethics and morals. And as Sol has defined them, ethics are a set of time-tested principles you create or agreed to abide by to accomplish a specific result on a regular basis. 
So there's no morals in here. It's just you're agreeing to time-tested principles, and you're going to do those. Morals mix in the act of judging something based on a set of personal or group standards or norms. So morals bring into the act of judging someone. You can argue that's right or wrong to do. That's where the complexity is going to come in. And we're going to see you're ever increasing the complexity as the morals get more questionable. Ethics enjoy facts, and morals thrive on subjective judgment. Crystal, do you have anything to add to that? I would include, I think, that morals can also come from maybe your upbringing, your culture, your religious views, things you've experienced in your life. For me, ethics would mean too more like, is it legal, isn't it legal? And then morals could be, well, I know it's wrong, but I disagree with the law, so what do I do? Like, anybody else have anything to add? Yeah, this is true. But the thing that I've been wrestling with this all day today, the thing that's just just become really, really clear to me with Sol saying it before and, and then you just saying it just there, is the, that ethics, if we simplify it down to ethics is just what we say. We don't make a judgment about whether it's right or wrong, which is a moral argument. We just talk about what we say. So if we say we're going to do something, follow a set of rules, for instance, then we follow those rules, then we're acting ethically. But if we say we're going to do something, follow a set of rules, and then we don't follow that set of rules, we're acting unethically. And that's it, simply put. And that's just become really clear to me just now. And that would match the definition in the book that Sol was attempting to. Well, I was struggling with it was well, when you have something that's just blatantly illegal and fraudulent, to me that has always been an ethical issue. And, mm. and maybe because in the company that I was in, as we went through what we went through with the fraud in our company, we had to have a whole ethics department. We had an ethics chief officer. We, we had to do like ethics training. We had ethics classes. And the word ethics was on top of us every day we went to work. And so I have this mindset of ethics is also equated to legality, which in Stoll's, in Stoll's book is not necessarily the case, which we'll see when we walk through some examples. What does anyone That's think right. of that? Well, your company that you used to work for had, with its ethics, it was saying these are the things that we are going to do as a group, as a company. And so that became their ethics. There was no moral judgment. <laughs> It was just they were either going to do it or they weren't going to do it. Right. So you are saying that ethical, it is a bad, you are saying that being ethical doesn't have anything to do with moral, is what you are saying? Yeah. But it has to do with the law, legal, legal, I mean, the legal system. I mean, it has to be legal, is what you meant? I'm just asking. Yeah. Well, someone was saying that in order to be Ethical, it doesn't have to be legal. You can still be ethical okay. and be doing an illegal activity, which really threw me for a loop when I was reading this. Yeah, I have a hard time with that too. I mean, for me, something ethical, it has to be legal. <laughs> I cannot understand ethical without being legal. Uh, so can you give me an example of something that is ethical without being really legal? And for the purposes of this show, I, I would love us to be less philosophical and more practical. Like, how does this apply to today's life for you right now? I mean, Isabel, I hear you struggling, and I'm glad you are struggling, and I, and I hope most people do struggle with this because we have conflated, we've added in a level of complexity with ethics that cracks your confidence. And when I hear 
Elaine saying that ethics are highly aligned with laws. They can be. What are laws? Laws are a set of rules. Those rules supposedly are what everyone agrees to. For example, there's a law that when a stoplight is red, you're supposed to stop. <laughs> if you don't, you could either risk your own life or get a ticket or risk someone else's life, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Now, did every one of us get a memo from someone saying, you will agree to this law? I suppose that happens when you get your driver's license. So you, By getting this license, it's tacit that you are complying by this law. Yeah? Yes. By living in the country, you're complying to the law. Right. It really does boil down to, if you want to start getting down to the bare bones on ethics, integrity, and morals, we can look at the age-old argument of right and wrong, good and bad. And the classic philosophical argument is that story about the father who is poor and their family is starving, and he steals a loaf of bread to feed his family, and then he is arrested and put in jail and actually put to death for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. Now we've conflated ethics with morals. To give you a classic example when it comes to your sense of confidence, if you tell me you're going to show up to my house at 6 o'clock tonight, throw a brick through my window, and start my house on fire, and you show up at my house at 6 o'clock tonight, you throw a brick through my window, and you start my house on fire, you are an ethical person. (laughs) (laughs) Because you said what you were going to do, and you did it. Now, from the standpoint of both cultural standpoint, setting a person's house on fire, morally... It's not well received, true? <laughs> so, so for you, being ethical is being true to yourself, being true to your word? True to your word, yes. Walking your talk. Correct. Whatever you, whatever you say is being true to your word, whatever you say. And whatever, if it's good or bad or wrong or right, it's whatever you say is being ethical. Do whatever you, I mean, true to your word. Even if it's not moral or even if it's not, for me, it's not ethical, but I guess the definition that we have is different, I guess. The reason why it's important to really struggle with this concept, folks, this makes a big change as to how you energetically come off to people, whether you will be paid what you're worth or not, whether you will be seen as a confident person or not. If your word is your deed, am I completely delusional? I mean, Folks, what are your thoughts on when a word, when a person says something and then they do it, does that instill confidence in you? Uh, hey, this is Monica. Absolutely it does. I recently have been struggling with, with this concept with people in my life because what happens to me when someone says they're going to do something and they don't do it, okay, well, if they say they're going to do something again and they don't do it again, what happens is is Bottom line, I may be frustrated or a little angry or whatever it is, but bottom line underneath it all, I don't trust that person anymore. And relating that to workplace and, and, and confidence and pay what you're worth, if people don't, are uneasy and don't trust you underneath it all, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, it's over. The relationship is over. This is Anna. Monica, I like that. I My question is, are we instilling... 
it's the confidence in the other person. We've lost confidence in the other person. Right, right. I would say Absolutely. that, yeah, I wouldn't say I lost confidence in myself. I If people continue to say they're going to do something and not show up to do it, yes, I lose confidence in them. Yes, very frustrating. And, and here, But here's the, here's the truth of the matter. I'm going to be really honest with you guys, that I have evidence of that in people around me in my life, right? And then with myself, I know that I have made agreements with myself and I have broken them as well. And, the, and that right there, my personal confidence, I know that, <laughs> that that's something that I want to change that I've broken my word with myself, and then yet I get frustrated with people around me that break their word with me. Now, let's ripple this further. All right. I'd, I'd like to pick – Jace, can I pick on you? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, Jace, you and I set up an agreement where I agree to pay you $1,000 a month every month on the fifth of the fifth day of every month for your services. Okay? Yes, got you. Now – for whatever reason, you decide to take me for my word, and the first couple of months, I make my payments right on time. In fact, I'm a little bit earlier, so I have made my $1,000 payment to you on time each month for the first two months, and maybe something happens in your life where all of a sudden something comes up, and there's an opportunity presented to you that's going to cost you $1,000 in the third month, and you agree to, to take on that opportunity, you, you commit to taking on that opportunity with the other person, meaning you will pay them $1,000 based on the notion that, well, soul, he, his word's been his deed. He's paid his bill on time. So I'm going to make my agreement with this person that I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm going to do that's going to cost me $1,000. And then the third month comes along, and I call you up and say, look, I'm sorry. I have to break my agreement. Now, I give you that notice well in advance. I mean, you know, it's not like, 20 minutes before you're expecting that $1,000 to come in, I'm calling you up and saying, oops, sorry, can't do it this month. Now, all of a sudden, I've placed your credibility at jeopardy because you have agreed to someone else that you are going to pay them $1,000 based on me paying you $1,000. What do you do there? Uh, that is a tough one. That's a really tough one. Um, integrity would say... You pay regardless. You know, contracts would say if you don't, there's a penalty, and it's that is a tough one. Having been on both sides of that, I don't have a cut and dried answer. Who else on the show today? Who else has had a situation where you promised to do something based on someone else's promise, and then that promise had to be changed? There's an easy fix to this, and I want to see if anybody can figure that out. This is too. I've certainly had that within my business where. I'm constantly churning money from one place to another to fund the jobs that are going on. One of my ethics is to make sure that I pay people on time and I pay early. But there was an occasion two years ago where one of my major customers was not paying me on time, which over a period of a few months dwindled my cash flow down to zero. So effectively, I couldn't pay my, my suppliers on time because I literally didn't have the money. And I was chasing and chasing and chasing for the money. And I had to keep going to my suppliers saying, hey, guys, I'm really sorry about this. But, uh, and they were really good. I've got great relationships with them. But it certainly did impact on my confidence. It certainly did because I was thinking, this is, this is ruining my reputation. 
what if I go further than 90 days or whatever, people are going to start saying, hey, Stu, we can't deal business with you. And so, yeah, it was definitely affecting me. So I'd love to hear this easy fix. <laughs> Anybody? Crystal, Elaine, any ideas of what, based on our conversation uh, a couple uh, yesterday, do you, do you have an idea of what trick I have up my sleeve? I don't think I do. I mean, all I can think of is you try not to have that dependency, but if you're trying to run a business, I mean, there's really no way around it. I mean, that I can think of. Crystal, Crystal? any ideas? <laughs> I guess, uh, we might be going on the topic of martyr. I'm not sure, but we can be. We can be. You're willing to sacrifice everything for your own reputation, confidence level, at a point where you can't no longer do it, and then next year in a big swamp. In the first case, when you say that, in the first example that you gave, when you say that you told the person that you couldn't give the money on time anymore, in a way, it's not that unethical because the person at least told the, the person. Do you know what I mean? She, the person. They, they told they, they told the person they will not be able to do it anymore. But if the person doesn't say anything, and if, if the person keeps saying, yes, yes, I will give it to you, I will give it to you, don't worry, and then if he keeps not giving it, this is very unethical for me. Oh, Isabel, I'm going gonna, gonna to call you Mrs. Sherlock. <laughs> 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 You're on to it. When my word equals my deed... I'm being ethical, and I can only give you my word for me. In the scenario that I set up with Jace, Jace, you made an assumption in this scenario, or I, I helped you make an assumption that because I made my first two payments on time, you assumed I was going to make my next payment on time, right? Right. And so with that safe assumption, I mean, most people would make, well, gee, you know, he's, he's on time, doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. You made a decision based on an assumption versus an agreement. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I coach people constantly on, especially with ethics and integrity, is if you have to break your word, break it as quickly and as early in the process as possible. If that person gets mad because you've broken your word, that's their issue, not yours. You've done what you've said you were going to do. And whether or not that is seen as good or bad, right or wrong by the other person, frankly, you got to let go of that. That's theirs, not yours. Unless if it is in uh, writing. If it's in writing that you say, okay, I will not pay later than the fifth of the month, then it's different. Exactly. Clear communication. So, Stu, in your situation, you were being nice. You were, cover you, you were offering that one client a line of credit with the hope that they'd catch up with you, right? Yeah, I mean, because they'd been doing it for years and years. They were just going through a blip themselves. They were, they were having a big company structure change, and it just it caught them unawares, which meant it caught all of their suppliers unawares, of which I was just one of them. But I caught up pretty quickly afterwards. But I, can, but I get your point, because through that period of maybe three or four months where, where things started to get really tight, and I had to keep making those new agreements with my suppliers based on what I was getting paid, my confidence levels started to dwindle. But going back to what Isabel just said there about writing it, you, one of the easy ways out may be that when you write the agreement, you foresee this, this, this occurrence in the future, and maybe you write, I will pay you on 30 days, and if I can't, I will call you at least five days beforehand to let you know why. 
then at least if you are going to have to go back on your agreement to pay them on 30 days, you've at least written it, written it into the agreement that you're going to tell them first. And then you're still acting ethically then. Exactly. Exactly. See, one of the things that this chapter is trying to trickle out is life happens. Many of us have the best intentions. How many of you have made an agreement or a commitment with someone else with the best intention of following through? And then life happens. I mean, for example, Monica, you've got a great example just recently. I mean, you made a commitment while you were taking a group of people through a journey. As people were signing up for this journey months ago, could, would you have had any idea that you might have been stricken the way you were while you were there? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, that, that came as a, a super surprise to be that sick and in the hospital. So, yeah, that, that, that shifted things quickly. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, though, people around me and were with me were very understanding. The timing of it all that happened um, worked out well, and we were able to still finish and do a lot of things that we had planned. So, However, that was a great example of something that you, you cannot plan to, to be that sick all of a sudden and in the hospital. And, Crystal, you, you never know. Crystal, you see that daily in your practice. Right. Yeah, people come in all the time or they hurt their hurt themselves or whatever happens and then it disrupts their life. And you see, especially depend well, some people handle it okay if they're like at a maintenance care, but then if it's affecting their life right away, their whole confidence level and then they start to get depressed. You, you see it all the time. Mm-hmm. If their just whole life is disrupted, it's just a big change for them. And then you're put under, I'm put under pressure to get them back to being well while explaining to them this is a two-way street that they have to also, I can't just fix you. It, it's both of us for your own health. You do have to take personal responsibility. Hey, this is Monica again. I, I didn't think about this before until this moment, full about that situation when I was in Peru. When I was in the hospital and feeling so ill, I mean, not, I mean physically I was feeling so ill, but I have to be honest with you. Mentally and emotionally, I started losing it in the sense of, oh, my, you know, I felt so horrible and I felt so horrible for everybody else. I questioned myself on why I was doing this and what we were doing down there. And it just went to a place where it really, it really did shake my confidence. Mm-hmm. And I haven't thought about it quite like that before, but yeah, it shook my confidence in the whole trip and giving adventures and everything. Well, Elaine, I know from our prior conversation, you were thrown into a paradox in that one position. True? Absolutely. Not prepared for that at all. My life changed in a matter of a moment. I came home from work one night. Everything was fine at the office, just in time it took me to get home, which wasn't that far. I put on the news, and my company is on the news saying it had declared one of the biggest frauds and bankruptcies in history. And I called up my staff around the country and said, anybody heard the news tonight? And they were like, no, what's going on? And I told them, and we were all silent for a couple of minutes. And then just said, well, let's go back tomorrow and just see, keep doing what we're doing, and we'll just wait and see what happens. And come to find out the next day we went back, and pretty much my immediate manager was still there, but everyone above him was gone. And um, eventually, within a 
maybe a couple of months, he was let go as well, although he, neither, he did not have anything to do with the fraud, and I had nothing to do with the fraud, and no one in our group where we were had nothing to, anything to do with the fraud. Obviously, though, I think when I was reflecting on it after the fact, yeah, the managers and staff in the accounting department who were in the corporate headquarters and actually were part of the fraud were put in a really difficult situation, and it's not as cut and dry as you might think. One day, their boss, who's the controller, he comes to them and he says, I need you to process these accounting transactions. And they figured out, I'm sure, right away, that it was something fraudulent, probably shouldn't be done, could even be illegal. It's going to impact reporting to the investors, the Wall Street analysts, the SEC. You know, the employees are going to see it. Everyone's going to see it. Maybe it's only a one-time fix. That's what you hope in the beginning. But should you walk away? And most of us initially, your gut reaction is, yes, I'm out the door. But then you have to think, okay, well, I'm on a good path here at headquarters. I've been here a long time. I live in a small city. There aren't a lot of jobs at my current income level. I've got a good standard living. I'm going to have to disrupt the lives of my loved ones, maybe. Maybe I'm going to lose my house. Maybe I'm going to have to move. Maybe I'm going to have to put the kids out of school. I know one of the managers, one of the higher executives, was thinking, well, we're going to have to close the company, and we're going to have a loss of 100,000 jobs. I mean, so when you counter all that to, you know, maybe a few accounting transactions that really aren't right, you put yourself into a tough situation. I mean, it's, I think it's a real soul-searching event of what would you do? It's those moments. And, and Sarah, I have to – well, actually, any anybody who is a parent, when you're put between, for lack of better words, a rock and a hard place, there's no nice out. There's no comfortable, safe, easy out. That Both, no matter what your choices are on the menu, they all suck. <laughs> It is in those moments where, through the work that you're doing by building your confidence, either with this series or any other tools and resources that you pick up on to build your confidence, when you can get to that space inside you that you know, regardless of what happens, you're going to be okay. You have that confidence. It's going to work out. Would that not lend itself to giving you the strength to make those tough calls? Yeah, I think it does. If you, if you know that you can be true to yourself, if you know that you've got your ethics, you're going to do what you said you were going to do, and then you were given two choices, both of which were terrible, but you know, hey, I've just got to pick the one that's either what I said or the closest to what I said, then that's the no-brainer. That's what I've got to do. Effectively, if they're both bad outcomes, it's easier to make that choice because if one of the outcomes was good but unethical, you might be tempted to, along that path. <laughs> well, they were hoping no one would find out. I mean, that comes into it as well. Maybe no one will find mm. out. You know, do we run the risk? Maybe it's a one-time thing. Next quarter, we'll fix it. That's what they hoped. Next yeah. quarter, we'll figure out the company. We'll get it straightened out. We'll get our business back on track. And then it happens again, and then it happens again, and then it happens again. And that same happening again is with the lessons that we need to learn. Have you ever noticed that, especially after going yeah. through performance-based contracts? If you skip an important step or if you skip, you skim, has there ever been a situation where you may have read an email a little too quickly or maybe you skimmed a, a letter rather quickly and you you got completely the opposite of what the email or the letter was telling you. I mean, you misinterpreted it completely 
and then it caused you to do things that you more or less regretted? Absolutely. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sure everybody listening, we I know I'm guilty with skimming. The reason why this chapter is happening before we have our last chapter of gratitude is to plant the seeds that for us to be compassionate, for us to be grateful, that a person takes a risk to break their word or break their contract and adjust it, to be grateful for that versus being more penalizing. If I know that if I had to go to, for example, Monica and I, or Jace, and I, you know, I've got this agreement with you, and I'm sorry, I've got to break it, and you were really counting on it, and la, 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 la. Well, you don't know what's going on in my life to the degree that I do and why I had to break this contract with you. And even though it might piss you off royally that I'm breaking this contract, if I know you're going to be pissed off, do you think I'm going to be really excited about telling you about it? <laughs> right? Well, I guess I guess it's it's how it happens and the communication behind it of of the, the clear picture. I think that when you do break your word with someone, if they want to know more information, be good to give it to them. Also, it's about how many times it happens. Yes. Yeah. So fortunately, Elaine, in your situation, things work themselves out for you, true? Oh, yeah, we were fine, but we weren't impacted. I'm talking about the people that were actually impacted and actually did the fraud. Things were not so great for them. They went to jail along with the managers and the executives, and they had their lives were disrupted. They lost their jobs, and they probably lost their careers. I don't know whatever happened down after that, but they certainly lost their jobs at the least. And then you can imagine from there what happened. So has there ever been a time where you had a choice between putting in a little more extra time to do something that's more or less work-related, and maybe you put in that extra time that to earn the income that you felt you needed, and you justified that because you needed the income, you have miles to feed, you've got bills to pay. But in the background, that extra time Maybe there's a partner or a child or a parent who really wants to spend time with you. And because they see you working so hard, they recognize that if they were to ask you for more time, they will be seen as a pest, so they don't ask you for more time. So you end up taking more time because you're not getting the signals that you're wanted, do you see the nasty cycle this creates? Well, I see it here, Sol, with parents that give their children BMWs and Audis because they're guilty that they're never home, and then these kids go and smash up the cars for some attention, and the parents go out and buy them another one, maybe more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. I see it. That's one ramification. And, Crystal, you face this constantly in your profession. When I decided to be a chiropractor, I decided I want to help people using more all-natural ways that we could eliminate it before going to the traditional Western medicine route. So this is what I'm visualizing signing up for in my head when I entered chiropractic school. Then I have this code of ethics, and honestly, I don't even know what it all says. There's just a bunch of stuff. You're a mandatory reporter. You have to get licensed in certain states if you want to practice in the U.S. 
you got to take boards, you got to pay some state licensing, all of this rules and regulations that you sign up for. But then I can go to another country, some countries, they have all, every country has its own legal system. And for instance, when I went to India, in India, I could help a poor person out. I could adjust. It wasn't an issue. Morally, they're thanking you and all this stuff. But if I see, if I'm, let's say, in Oregon in the mountains and there's no other medical professional around and I don't have a license because I don't have my license yet, then let's say I, I have a license in the state of Iowa but not Oregon, I'm now faced, do I adjust this person and help them knowing I have some knowledge that can help them? Knowing, knowing I'm also breaking the law. Do I let this person go into pain and suffering? Or do I just say, you know what, I'm willing to risk it because I signed up to help somebody, even though I face potential legal action. And this, this occurs not just with chiropractors. I mean, medical doctors face this. Anyone really who needs a state licensing will face something of a licensing issue maybe at some point because an Iowa license isn't good in an Oregon license even though we take a national exam. For me, it comes down to what do you do? Do you help someone who needs it or do you just follow the law? But to be on, on an ethical level, you're kind of committing yourself to following those rules in, that, in America because that's the law and that's the code of conduct and that's what you've got to abide by, isn't it? So how does that, knowing that you've got to do that, how does that affect your confidence? It takes it down, plus laws and rules can be changing all the time. So now that gets thrown in there. What might have happened when I first signed up is now different. I see this person suffering. I want to help them. I have the knowledge. I'm either going to do it with confidence, willing to face the consequences, or I'm going to have to watch this person, which I'm going to be feel guilty about because now my morals are coming in because I'm watching somebody suffer when I could help them. I have a master's in social work. And I knew going into this that I would never apply for my license because once I have my license, I fall into the same category that Crystal falls into. If I witness a colleague who also is a social worker do something that is quote-unquote wrong and I do not report them, I would not only lose my licensing but also become a collaborator in that particular endeavor. So ethics, integrity, morals. Morals, to me, if you think of a soap bubble floating in the air, that's a moral. Inside the moral are ethics. In certain cultures, it is immoral to dance. In certain cultures, it is illegal to gamble. In certain cultures, you could experience great physical body bodily harm if, as a male, I walked up and looked into the eyes of another female. I could experience possibly being shot. And in their culture, that is not only legal, it is moral. So do you see why I'm asking you all to think about ethics and morals? Morals being an add-on, an upgrade, an addition to that you apply to ethics. And Isabel, I heard you struggling at the beginning of the call where it seems unlikely to separate the two. You're in a unique position, Isabel, to have some solid life experience in two different cultures, yeah? Yes. And I have to imagine that there are certain aspects of these different cultures initially that threw you. Yes, although it's not as 
different than, if, for example, if I was coming from Africa or from, from other places. But yes, it did. If you want to apply morals to your ethics, it will require you to do some Sherlock Holmes work. It will require you to really sit down and look at the fact that, okay, Anna, and I'll, can I pick on you for a minute? Sure. Okay. Anna, I tell you that I'm going to show up at your place tomorrow night at 6 o'clock because let's pretend you're of a culture that time is not that big of a deal. In some indigenous cultures, time is kind of fluid. For example, in Hawaii, we call it Hawaii time. And Hawaii time means you've got a give or take of a good 30 minutes, minimum. <laughs> Could be a couple hours minimum, but we're, they're not real clock watchers. So if I tell you, Ada, that I'm going to be at your place at 6 o'clock and you're of a culture that yeah, you, if I showed up at 5.45 or 6.30, it was no big deal to you whatsoever. And I showed up at 6.20, how would our relationship feel to you that I showed up 20 minutes late? I think I'm probably on Hawaii time because as long as you <laughs> showed up <laughs> within the hour, I'm good. <laughs> but let's change that. Anna, let's put you in, in a culture maybe like an Eastern culture time. I mean, Elaine, you can certainly correct me if I'm incorrect on this, but there are certain cultures in the East Coast time that if you tell them you're going to be there at 6 o'clock, by golly, you very well better be there at 6 o'clock. I would, so I would have locked, yeah, I would have locked the door by 6.10, 6.15. <laughs> if you want that, yeah, I would have locked the door on you. Just This is Isabel. It, this is an issue that coming from France, we are having because we in France, if you tell someone to come for dinner, for example, at 8 o'clock at night, this is impolite to come at 8 o'clock. You have to come later. You have to come at, at least at least 15 minutes later. So when I had friends here and I invited friends over here, and some of my friends, I mean, they are from the United States, and when I told them, okay, you come at 8, they came at 8. I was like, oh, I'm not ready. What's going on? How come you come at 8? Like, what are they doing? So, yes, so I can imagine how different it can be. So, yeah, in France, it's very, it's, it's, it's the same. You have to give at least 15 minutes to, to the hostess, at least, to, <laughs> to be ready. So you will never come on time in France. Never. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a good travel tip right there. I hope you took notes there. The ethics and integrity. If we could run through the queue real quick. Sarah? Yes. Would you mind sharing a time where your word so aligned with your deed? In other words, what you said is what you did, and you did it fairly quickly, and it gave you a sense of strength and clarity that makes you just tingle to this very day? I'm sitting across from my boss. <laughs> and I'm going to say, when I went to one of the uh, personal development classes not too long ago, they asked me to set a goal for seven days. Like, I have to complete it within seven days. And then I said, okay, my goal is that I'm going to go and, and I believe this is in the beginning of our radio series. So I was feeling, I was feeling worthy of having what I wanted. So I had the balls to come to my boss and said, I need a raise. 
And yeah, and they said, okay, you have to set a, a goal in seven days, and you have to do it no matter what. And I learned in personal development that if you're afraid to do something, you just got to do it to overcome the fear. I was scared to come and ask my boss for a raise, but I did it. One, because I thought, one, I needed it, and two, I wanted to do something to overcome my fear, so I did that. And I felt very powerful when I did it. Yum, good example. And that nugget of experience helped you create more confidence down the line. True? Correct. Crystal? For me, I when I was a junior and undergrad, so this was back in 2001, I had planned for like a year to go to Germany to live there for a year, and then September 11th happened, and my whole family and friends were like, and my boyfriend at the time, like, I don't know if you should go, it's unsafe, blah, 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 all the excuses. I really didn't pay attention to them. I said, I'm going, and if something happens to me, then that was meant to be, and I went to Germany for the year, and I had the best time of my life, and I just felt really powerful that I was able to take, I mean, I had, like, grandma crying on the phone, family crying, <laughs> I, this is something I wanted to do, and I just did it, and look at now, great, I'd do it again. Hi, uh, I recognize that living with that ethics, integrity is I was very strong with that back when I launched my seminar company, that, that we sat down one day and I said, I've got X amount of dollars from selling a piece of property. We're going to make this thing work. And I had no idea how we were going to make it work, but we did it. We made it work somehow. We, we made that company go and we made a big difference in the world. And I used to all the time say, I don't know how I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. And I, I declare it fully intending to keep it, you know. It was a very tingle-inspiring time all the time. Smiling eye to eye. <laughs> yeah, all right. I, I thought of a few examples, but one that was really defining for me when I was young, I was out of high school. I was only 18, and I declared to my parents <laughs> that I was going to go to Mexico and live with a family. <laughs> they thought I was crazy. Yeah. And... <laughs> And I didn't know the language, not like I knew really anybody. I did it. I had a, an amazing experience, dirt roads, washing my own clothes type situation. And I was down there for three months the first time with them. It really shifted my perspective on my life and the world, especially how my life had been all those 18 years up to that point living in the U.S. Came back, I was I'm like, gosh, wow, I really did that. And in the moment, in, during that time, I tell you, I had 100% determination and conviction that that is exactly what I was going to do, and I did it. It was it was great. Very, very happy I did. Do what's happening? I, Your turn. So a few years ago, I got involved with a charity helping uh, some children. I decided... In a, in a kind of fit of creativity that I would take a whole bunch of them and take them to where I go training and spend a whole day there and we would do four different activities during the whole day and create some lunch for them and just have these kids have a fantastic day out where, where they try lots of different things. Uh, they were all suffering with bereavement issues and stuff. And I, start, I started sorting it out and I was committed to it and then I found out how difficult it was to do. It was just so hard to bring all the pieces together. And I kind of bit off more than I could chew, really. But because I said I was going to do it, 
I, and I couldn't let the kids down and stuff. I, ha- I just had to muddle through and find a way to do that. In the end, it just I, I just started asking people to help me, and they all did fantastically, friends and, and colleagues and stuff. Put on a great day for them, and I've done a few more since then, which is great. But that first one was, yeah, I was kind of like holding my heart a bit, thinking, ah, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if I can pull this off. But we did, and that made me feel like a million dollars because I thought, I can do anything now. So that was great. Isabella? Yes, for me it was, it was when I was 18 years old. I wanted to work in a place where they were challenging, uh, mentally challenged uh, adults. I was the youngest there. Every Everybody else was, uh, I mean, some people were 40 years old and 35 and 45. And I was taking care of, at the beginning it was six adults, challenging, uh, mentally challenged. I was, I remember coming home almost every night crying because it was so hard. Really, it's very difficult. Some people will fall, they will bleed, and some people will... I mean, I was scared sometimes, and and it was... But I loved it at the same time. It was so rewarding. And to see those people change in a month, they were, at the beginning, the six people, they were not talking to each other, they were not laughing. They were, and at the end, it was like a group, and they were all laughing. It was so... It was amazing. It was an mm-hmm. amazing experience. And I continued doing it even the second month. And then I had a group of 30. And this was very challenging. But I, I was, this memory will stay with me for the rest of my life because it's something that was very challenging to do, very hard. I could have quit it. I could have said, no, it's too much, too, really too hard. But I said, no, I really want to because for them, for me, because I say I will do it, I'm very, I was very proud of myself for doing that. Very proud. So... Nice work. Yeah. Anna? I want to say that starting my radio station was a massive confidence builder because I didn't even know how I was going to start. I had this idea. I'd done it, but I wasn't handling all the background things and the production and things like that, getting the talent, the host together. And I just kind of had this idea to do it and took off. And little by little, with baby steps, and I did, I, I asked a few people, I told people what I was doing, and certainly the folks from the other station were excited about it. The other station had actually shut down because of a, a death, and so we started on this journey, and it's just grown by leaps and bounds, and I get emails from people telling us that the, the information on our stations has helped them, it's helped them expand their lives and in so many different ways. And it's that, to me, is a huge confidence builder in that I've got some fabulous people on the air. And all we want to do is be of service. That was my confidence builder. It is my confidence builder still. Elaine, I think, has left. That's me. (laughs) Uh, It's about 17 years ago. I was in the project management department. Doing about project management. Never done project management. Didn't really know what it was. The whole department, 12 of us, were going to take the PMI PMP test, which is for project management professionals. I was the last one to join it. There was two months to go till the test. Um, everyone else had taken the classes. All I had was a box of books, and everyone else dropped out. They all had the classes, they had all the training. They said it was too hard, and they dropped out. And so I'm there with my box of books thinking, okay, I guess I can do this on my own. One day, one of my coworkers said to me, well, you know, if you don't pass all the sections, it's okay because you can just take those parts over or whatever. And I didn't even know this was in my mind. My, my subconscious knew, but I consciously had no idea this. And I said to him, I'm not doing this twice. 
I'm going to pass it the first time. And his eyes got real big. He's like, no one passes it the first time, Elaine. I said, well, I am. <laughs> and I did. So I had no training, nothing but a box of books, and I got through the whole thing and did fine. So that was kind of the first time in my life. that I had always been the top of my classes all the way through school and college and everything, and always the top of my classes. But that was the first time I thought, gee, I'm smart. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And being that my, a, a, that's still my confidence builder even to this day, and it was 17 years ago. May I add something? Please. Uh, I was to, I was talking to a friend of mine two days ago, and she said, "Wow, I cannot. You got. You are so confident in yourself, much more than you thought. Is it the show, the radio show that you are doing?" And I said, "Maybe." And so I think one of my the example I could give is the show, the radio show that we are all doing. It's a commitment that I uh, I told myself I would do, and it gave me a lot of confidence, lots of confidence. And I thank you for that, Sol. Thank you. Oh, now I'm blushing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And Elaine, being a former project manager myself, the, the, to know that you passed that test the first time through, I just imagine me bowing before you, like, you rock. Wow. Yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> it had, I, my subconscious knew. I, did, I think if you had asked me, you think you passed the test the first time, I would have gone, oh, God, I don't know, probably not. But my subconscious was like, I'm not doing this twice. (laughs) (laughs) So somehow I pulled it off. I don't know, but I did. So, So ladies and gentlemen, you just heard eight amazing stories about how a moment in time where when you aligned your word, you aligned your deed, And it's like the world opened up to just see it all happen. You just heard eight stories. Replay this show again if you need to hear them. And for all of us, one of the things that I I do daily is I stop and I look back at other stories in my life like that. I look back at the time where I balance what I say with what I'm going to do with the art of release, meaning... As long as I give it my best effort, I really can go to sleep at night safely saying to myself, I gave it my best effort. If you give it your best effort, isn't that really all you can ask of someone? Yes? Yeah, that's what my parents yeah. instilled in me. Okay. So part of this ethics and integrity and the reason why one should detach morals from it is what I might consider to be my best. You might judge it as less than being my best. And as we talked earlier in the show, ethics and morals are two different things. When judgments are placed upon ethics, something's good or bad, right or wrong, in or out, black or white, whatever the judgment you want to put on someone's ethics, you now dive into the moral world, and we add a level of complexity there. I invite you on this show to begin to look at how the more simple something is, the more confident you can be. How's that saying go, kiss it, keep it super simple? Have you noticed that when you find someone who is able to keep things really simple, 
you have a sense of confidence. Both you have that confidence and they have that confidence. As you are able to master something, as you master your word where it will equal your deed more and more, and it, it, it is worth the effort. It is so worth the effort. In the beginning, much like going to the gym, you might be able to get out there and you might be able to do only two minutes on some machine. And then as the days and the weeks and the months go by, that two minutes turns into 10, 15, 30. You might be able to pick up only 10 pounds and five months later you're picking up 50 pounds. You build your strength. As you practice your integrity, as you practice aligning your word with your deed, as I practice aligning my word with my deed, it gets easier. And while to someone else it can look extraordinarily complex, because you've done your workout, it's so much easier to do. So with that thought in mind, we now, and Crystal and Elaine, thank you for co-piloting today's show. Yay! Woohoo! It was fun. The second to the last show, let me get you all prepped for it. We're going to talk about gratitude guidelines. And so I wished to plant a seed for you to water. And that seed is what one person in your life right now, whether they are still on the planet or whether they have departed from this planet, what one person are you the most grateful for? One person that you're most grateful for. And should you wish to take this, the way to water this seed is for you to sit down and write a letter. Whether you choose to send that letter to this person is completely up to you. I will ask you that if you really want to be real, choose not to send it initially and really share in your heart why and how and when you are so grateful for this person. This will help water the seeds for us to get into a very yummy show. Before we wrap up, any final quick thoughts from anyone? I got some real clarity there. We've, I've been struggling with that all day, and, and for us to focus on just the ethics meaning what we say has really made it clear. Um, mahalo to I would be so honored if you take the time to look up each person here on our show on our Confidence Cast page at bit.ly.com, B-I-T-L-Y.com forward slash Confidence Cast, B-I-T-L-Y.com forward slash Confidence Cast. You get to see each person, you get a picture of them, you get a little bit of a bio, and you have multiple links in order to come check out who they are, and what they're up to. And with that, crew, on the count of three, I'd like to hear a rounding aloha to wish everyone a fabulous week. One, two, three. Aloha! And now, a few words from Lillian. Thank you for listening to PWR Network. I'm Lillian Caldwell, the founder of PWR Network. I personally thank you, as well as my other listeners, for your support. To enjoy the benefits being heard by our 8 million-plus listeners, call me at 734-827-9406 to explore 
how to become a PWR network host or sponsor. Once again, I'm Lillian Caldwell, the founder of PWR Network. Thank you for listening to this program. We look forward to hearing from you. Hey, heads up listeners, Soul Dancer here, PWR Network's executive producer. I'm excited to announce that PWR Network has launched a new monthly contest. Each month we check to see which of our site members has shared the most comments on our site. The top person will win some really great prizes. Get yourself registered today. How? Click on our Get Registered link at the top of pwrtalk.com. Again, visit pwrtalk.com and get registered today. And then start sharing your comments to win that prize every month. You're listening to PWR Network, broadcast out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. We hope you're enjoying the show. By all means, click on the Facebook or Twitter buttons to share this show with your friends. We look forward to hearing your comments in the comment box below. Enjoy the show. PWR Network is excited to announce four unique, exclusive station sponsor packages. Each package is packed with ten times the value you'll pay with your check or card. Visit pwrtalk.com today. Click on the About Us link at the top of every page. Learn how we'll feature you to our growing station listeners, now over 9 million strong. Call Lillian Caldwell at 734-827-9407. Will you be the one of our four lucky sponsors in 2014? Visit pwrtalk.com and boost your luck today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.